All right. Today's message is going to come to us from Matthew as he's teaching the disciples how to pray. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus continues, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the, the word of the Lord. Go ahead and please be seated. Now, if we are successful in our mission to awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ, then we as disciples following after Jesus will look more and more like people who have these transformed lives of freedom, lives of joy, lives of sacrifice. And then this week, we focus on what it means to live a life of renewal. Now, a life of renewal is one that's been transformed by the life-changing forgiveness of God. And forgiveness is something that we love to receive from God, but maybe are a little bit stingy sometimes on who we share it with. We can share it with people that we know, that we love, but when people look different, act different, or people that we don't like, it becomes a little bit more difficult. So how easy is it to forgive, say, our enemies? Jesus teaches in this text that we will be forgiven in the same measure that we forgive others. On top of that, if we are forgiven and readily forgive others, it begins to transform who we are. So today, this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about forgiveness and then transition into transformation. For forgiveness, David writes this beautiful psalm in Psalm 51. He, he, and he expresses a, a time of confession to God. And then he says this. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes there's this pit in my stomach that I feel called guilt. It's this really a lot of tension and, and mass right here in my gut. And, and sometimes I've tried all kinds of different things to get, get rid of this, right? I've, I've tried to, to blame others. Um, I've, I've tried to, like, to say that because somebody else did this in my life, then that's why I did what I did. Sometimes uh, I justify or rationalize it or compare my sin to somebody else's. My itty-bitty tiny sin compared to somebody else's great big sin. So it's not that bad. Right? And I know we typically do a lot of contemporary music in here, but there's this famous hymn that I'm sure you probably know. Chief of sinners though I be, Judy Viles is worse than me. I love you, Judy. I really do. But, but, but we do that, don't we? We like to pretend that the, that the sins that we do maybe aren't quite as bad as terrorists or, or mass murderers. Certainly there's a different place in hell for them. That our sin is okay-ish. Or maybe we just flat out deny it. It really wasn't that wrong at all. 
But in the end, there is only one single solitary way to get rid of guilt, to get rid of sin. And that is to go face to face with our God and acknowledge it. To acknowledge our sin before God. That's what we call confession and absolution. That's what we did just moments ago. We laid it all out there. The things that we do that we weren't supposed to, the things we were supposed to that we didn't, the sin that we were born with, the sin that we live out every single day. God, this is it. I confess it in front of you. That's confession. That's what we do when we repent. And, and when you don't do that, when you keep it all bottled up inside and you don't share that admittance of guilt, what happens is, is that stays inside of you and it makes you sick. There's an addiction recovery slogan that says, you're only as sick as the secrets you keep. Right? Because once you voice it, once you say it out loud, it starts to lose its power over your life. But when you keep it secret, it regains that power and controls you. But here's the rescue. You look at Jesus on that cross. You remember his great cost. And when you remember the great cost that Jesus paid, that it helps you to remember how awful it is that we are sinners, that it drove him to that cross. But at the same time, it also reminds you of God's great, incredible love for each and every one of you because he was willing to go to any length, to every length, in order to rescue you back to be in a right relationship with him. God would do anything and has done everything for you. That's important to remember Jesus in that garden of Gethsemane getting ready for the events that are about to transpire and he's praying so intensely that he's sweating like drops of blood. Father, if there's ever any other way to avoid what is about to happen, please let me know now would be a good time. But if not, let your will be done, not mine. See, Jesus knew that he was about to die a death that no man in history ever had before and no man in, his, in, in the future ever will. Because D Jesus knew that it wasn't just a plain, regular crucifixion. He knew that all of my sin, all of your sin, all the sins of billions of people throughout history would be heaped upon his shoulders in that one moment in time. And each and every one of them would be paid in full. And as he said, it is finished, that payment was made, and your ledger with God is wiped clean. Like David asked for, create in me a pure heart, O oh God. And as I spoke God's words of forgiveness to you, that's exactly what God did. And we get to do this, we get to come to him not out of fear, but out of a confidence in knowing his compassion. My favorite parable of all time is the, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, prodigal, just remember, doesn't mean bad or wayward. It means he just spends money like it's going out of style. He just wastes money. That's what prodigal means. But the parable really should be called the parable of the prodigal father because it's the father who just, he wastes his money on the son knowing that his son is going to blow it. And he just is so generous, he pours it out. And he's generous with the mercy as his son returns. He doesn't hold any back. He just pours it all out. 
Right? As the son, he's, he's returning back after his life of, of sinfulness, and, he, and he's practicing and rehearsing in his head his apology. Maybe you've done this before. And he's thinking to himself, I'm going to say to my dad, Father, I've sinned against you and against the Lord. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired servants. And he's practicing this over and over and over and over again. And he gets to that point where he's right at the horizon. Now we skip forward to the father. And the father, every single day since his son has been gone, has been searching and scanning. As he's working, he's searching and scanning, waiting for his son to return. And that one amazing day, he sees his son's silhouette coming on the horizon. And he charges towards him, not out of anger or judgment, but out of care and compassion and love. And his son is rehearsing this. He says, Father, forgive me, for I've sinned against the Lord and against you. And he doesn't even get to finish because the father has already wrapped his arms around him. He's already kissing his face. He says, bring the, kill the fatted calf, bring a robe, bring a ring, bring some sandals for his feet. My son was lost and is found. He was dead and he's alive. Do you realize? that as you spoke those words of confession this very moment what the father did was he rushed to you wrapped you up and he said I've got you I love you you were lost but now you're found you were dead but now you're alive that is the joy that the father has when he forgives you that's amazing now Jesus he gives us a litmus test with this Lord's prayer so that we know when, when can we be sure that we have really repented? How can we be sure that we are forgiven? <laughs> and here's the test. That you willingly forgive your enemies. It's simple. Forgive those who've harmed you. Because when you forgive others, you can know that you're doing something that you could only do because God has done it to you first. That you can extend that same grace to the Father that he has already extended to you. You can extend to those who have harmed you the most. Jesus says, I will forgive you as much as you forgive your enemy. Now I want to make a very important distinction because this is very important to understand. There are some things that people have done to you that are so egregious, so painful, so heinous that maybe you, you find yourself saying this, Heavenly Father, I know you want me to forgive my enemies, but what they have done has hurt me to the core. I don't know how I can do this. Please give me help. That is God-pleasing. The other side of the coin is, Father, you know what they've done to me, and I know that you want me to forgive them, but I refuse that is a dangerous place to be. That is a person who doesn't understand the grace of God that's been given to them. Now, I want to share with you today three types of forgiveness, depending on who you're working with. The three types of forgiveness are this. It's exoneration, exoneration, forbearance, and release. Now, exoneration is maybe what you think of when you think of forgiveness most often. That's when you just wipe the slate clean. Now, this is usually the type of forgiveness that you give to somebody, number one, who you have a great relationship with, and you want to continue being in that person's life. And it's, it's, a, it's a mistake that was made that was just, it was, it was an accident, it wasn't intentional, and it's easier to forgive. Or maybe it was something that was actually really bad, but... 
that person recognizes how bad they hurt you. They make a genuine apology to you. They seek to make it better. They work hard not to let it happen again. And they know the cost. They don't make excuses. That person receives exoneration. You wipe the slate clean. I love you. We're going to be okay. But what about when the, that's exoneration. But what about when the person is maybe kind of sorry? <laughs> or the apology was, really? <laughs> or they said, I'm sorry, but, and whenever you throw a but in, you just wipe the apology kind of away. Or you know that there's probably a good likelihood that that mistake will continue. Then that's forbearance. You still want to be in a relationship with that person. You still want them in your life. You still want to be good. But at the same time, you forgive, but you don't forget. You trust, but you verify. All right, for those of you who are teenagers, this is the kind of love your parents give to you. <laughs> we love you. We want you in our life. We know you're going to make mistakes. And so we're going to put as much structure and love and forgiveness into your life as, 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 as you need. But we're going to trust and verify. We're going to forgive, but remember. And then there's the third kind, right? And this is for, this is for those really deep core pains, for, for the, the kinds of, of, of things that have happened to you, whether it be abuse or neglect or extreme betrayal. Sometimes we like to hang on to those. But when we hang on to those, that's a poison that we take trying to hurt the other person. And sometimes in those circumstances, not sometimes, in all the times in those circumstances, we need to get to a place where we can release and forgive. And when we release, we're saying, what you did was bad and it was wrong and it hurt. And by me forgiving you doesn't say that it was okay. It was not okay, but I release you from that. I release you from that not only for your sake, but for my sake too, because I need to heal. Because anytime you hang on to that, you give that person and you, you don't release that, you hang on to it and you let that person live rent-free in your head and the pain perpetuates and festers and grows. But when you release it, transformation starts to happen. Now, for those circumstances, I want to go back to the person we talked about right over here who said, God, what they've done is so painful, and I hate it, and I know you want me to forgive, but I'm struggling to. Please help me. Help me come to a place of release. This person doesn't earn or merit my forgiveness, but I know the joy of my salvation. I release them. Help me release them. And oftentimes when you get to a place of the forgiveness type of release, this comes with not necessarily keeping that person in your life anymore. You can release and forgive and draw boundaries that protect you and keep you safe, keep that abuse from continuing, keep that harm from perpetuating, but still forgive. So hopefully, if there's somebody that you're struggling to forgive, maybe it's, maybe it's exoneration, maybe it's forbearance, maybe it's release. And when you do that, when you encounter that forgiveness of forgiving other people, you know, it increases the joy of your own salvation, the forgiveness God has given to you, and now God starts to make some changes in your lifestyle, in who you are. 
So now I want to move from the forgiveness aspect to the transformation aspect. And then it is, it's really, really cool. In this particular situation, there's this, uh, there's this amazing preacher named Tim Keller. And he talks about the Lord's Prayer as not just being an example of how to pray, like what to include in your daily prayers, which it is. But he says it's also, it's also a vision for what a life of beautiful discipleship looks like. Think about that. It's a picture of what your life as a disciple of Jesus, being transformed by his love and grace, what it looks like. You call God Father. He's not some incredible authoritarian in the sky who's, who's waiting to judge and contemn you. He's your Father. He longs to be in a family relationship with you. And that's why he gives you exoneration, forgiveness. He forgives and forgets. He wipes the slate clean. Thank you, Father, for that relationship that you long to have with me, with you. And, and then he, and he continues, he says, so, so not just this relationship, but God, make your name holy to me as if it's impossible for God's name to be any more holy than it already is. But the person who's been changed in the life of discipleship says, God, your name is so holy to me. I recognize the power that lives in your name. It's a name above all names. Help me to use it in right ways, that, that I use it to, to pray and praise and give thanksgiving and to share your good word with other people. And God, I know you give me my daily bread. I can throw away fears and doubts and worries and anxiety because I trust in the Lord. I know that he will give me every day when I wake up all that I need physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally to make it through that day well. And tomorrow he's going to do the exact same thing. God, I trust you that even though my life may not make sense and I don't understand what's happening, I trust that you do. That you have a plan and a purpose and a promise to use all things to the good of those who love you. And I love you. God, allow my mind to be submissive to your will. Help me not pray prayers that are for my will to be done, God, but to, to, to pray that your will would be done and that you would use me to help carry that will out. This life that's been transformed by Christ knows that repentance is not based on fear, but on, on just the certainty that Jesus is going to be compassionate. That we, that we relish this full pardon that God has given us, this exoneration, and we willingly share exoneration, forbearance, or release with those around us. It's a life of absolute peace, a life of beauty, of incredible clarity and total power. This is a transformed life of renewal. Now, the life of a disciple at St. Luke's Lutheran Church is one who is being transformed by the power of God into a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of sacrifice, and a life of renewal. And if we are successful in our mission to awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ, that is who we will become. How, Pastor Tig, will we become that? Well, stay tuned, folks. Because next week, we're going to celebrate the Reformation in a unique kind of way. But after that week, we're going to start with the ways and the things that we do in order to see God work these changes in us. That is going to be the focus as we continue. And may the peace of God be with you always. 
in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we cannot ever thank you enough for the forgiveness that you have freely given to us. Not a cheap grace, but a grace that was purchased by your son, by his body and blood, by his life, his death, and his resurrection. God, remind us of that incredible gift that you give to us and allow us to know the joy of sharing your forgiveness with those around us. God, let this experience change who we are. Allow us more and more to live that life that you've pictured in the Lord's Prayer. Bring us that transformation in a life of renewal. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name.